1: Hello and welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm Frankie Oliver, your host and founder of New Society. And today I'm joined by PR Week's UK editor, John Harrington. Hi, John. Hi, Frankie. And our special guests, Katie Decaza, director at CC Group, and Nicola Karonka, co-founder at Missive. Hello to you both. Thanks so much for joining us. So this week we are discussing the findings of the annual works search salary survey. I managed to get that out in one, John, and what agencies can do to retain their employees, including rewards and benefits that both Missive and CC Group won awards for in this year's PR Week Best Places to Work awards. So first of all, to you, KC. What are your general observations of of this year's um, salary survey um, that I think broadly showed an average ten percent, mm-hmm. you know, pay rise across the industry and an overall a dip in
2: bonuses? What was what was your view? It's a really interesting question. I think first read and face value that seems okay and that seems fair, but I think then when you really think about how challenging this year has been, and notably the cost of living crisis. Um, and specifically in October 2022, when inflation rose to 11.1%, which was a 41-year all-time high, perhaps that's not so good. Um, So I think that would be my first observation around around salary, that really against this backdrop, um, it's not so positive. Um, And I think looking at bonuses and this dip that we've seen, it really, I think, for me, tracks against probably the challenging scenario that in-house teams and, and agencies found themselves in towards the end of last year. Um, and we we know, you know, what's happened around job roles and redundancies and market challenges. We know that, you know, from an agency perspective, new business certainly started to slow down. So I think in terms of the way that the bonuses dipped, I think that, that probably all tracked and made sense to me. Um, But I would also add there, I think the the really concerning thing for me was the fact that chief executives within agencies fared best out of, out of those communities and those teams. And I think. Some punchy bonuses there, weren't there? Really punchy Mm. bonuses. And I think, you know, my question would be, does this really feel fair, you know, against a a cost of living crisis backdrop, which is definitely adversely affecting um, a certain group of people more than others? And those people are people within the lower end of the earning bracket. So
1: your view in terms of the 10% is possibly that it, it wasn't enough, also on the sort of backdrop of last year, I think the average growth rate of agencies was 15%. Mm. So you're feeling really in line with inflation, it wasn't high enough. And actually sort of consistency of some of the conversations that we've had with Danny over, over the last year is really how salaries were already potentially too low before we got into Um, the cost of living crisis. So Nicola, what were your views? Similar or different? Yeah, I would say broadly similar. And I think you just touched on an interesting point there, which is, you know,
3: historically, the PR industry has not fared as positively as broader marketing disciplines around um, salary. So I think it's positive to see that there's been some change. I think a lot of that's probably been pressure from the economy and businesses and uh, you know agencies and, and businesses have felt like they've had to move. I'm, I'm I'm not surprised on bonuses. It has been a weaker economic environment, and I think whether your agency side or businesses facing tighter budgets, um, a lot of organisations that reward bonuses on profit are going to find that challenging last year and, and possibly this year as well. Um, I think, I, I don't know how CC Group does it, but I think if you looked across some of the best places to work, um, candidates and Missive, you know, we reward bonus on personal performance as well as business performance. And that might be a bit more of an inclusive approach and start to uh, challenge some of the the things that you were talking about, Katie, in terms of, is this really fair?
1: It's interesting though, isn't it? Because actually, thinking back to the, to the survey, I think it was something like 74% of people that were surveyed said that they were happy with their salary and and it was the highest number that had ever been recorded in the overall survey. So even though there's a cost of living crisis, generally maybe on balance, people were weighing up what was happening out in the world and actually feeling this feels fair.
4: I think there might be a psychological thing about having a relatively big proportional pay rise. Because I don't know about you, if I get a pay rise that's 10%, even if inflation is 15%, I'm going to think, wow, I've got 10% more money. Do you know what I mean? Maybe there is something, it still something in that healthy. that yeah. it seems better than it is. And we don't necessarily take into account rising costs as much as we should.
2: And that also might reflect the the changes in the market, say, from say two years ago to today, which is we've come from this very much employer-led market, talent market, where there was a huge amount of movement of people and demanding of higher high salaries and agencies willing to kind of switch up and increase bands to people feeling, yeah, perhaps a little bit more settled and comfortable with where they are.
1: And looking specifically, because obviously I think pulling out the cost of living crisis very much around junior mm. staff and entry-level um, account execs. What do you think is really the sort of overall average that you think we should be aiming at as an industry in terms of paying that level of graduate coming through?
3: Uh, First and foremost, I think transparency is really important. So I think if everybody talked about it a bit more, then that would probably help that cohort out. Um, Our entry level salary is £26,000 we'd love it to be bigger but we can't afford to do that at the moment and I think that comes back to my point about the reputation of PR what we what we can charge our clients for what we deliver uh, there's still work to be done there in terms of how we you know it falls into kind of the measurement debate um, how we value ourselves and therefore pass some of these increased business costs so, you know missive is incur- incurring and bearing uh, we gave everybody a discretionary cost of living pay rise out with their promotion um, There was uh, mention of a timeline. lot of that
1: actually in the in the A survey. huge amount, which maybe is why yeah. people
3: feel happy as well about their pay because they feel like they've got this extra reward that comes out with their usual uh, career development,
1: um, promotion and pay rise um, schemes. Um, obviously, Evie wrote a piece about this recently that one of the biggest um, trends to come out of the report is the continuing and eye-watering gender pay gap um, where women in agencies and across the industry are being paid 24% less than men. Right, we'll take a minute to all take that in. But um, it is an ongoing issue that doesn't seem to be going away. What are we going to do about this? And, you know, really, what practices do we need to be put in place so that over the next couple of years we see this
2: change? I mean, it's just outrageous. I think it is outrageous. I think um, sort of seeing a female-dominated industry, where men still very much hold the power in 2023 is is really concerning, really, really concerning. Um, And Nicola, you've started to talk about it already, but I think transparency is is something which just needs to happen more and more. And I feel personally excited about. So if we sort of think back um, to corporate legacies whereby employees were, not only discouraged from discussing their salaries, but quite often told that they were banned from doing so within company policies, which pretty sure is illegal. Um, You know, you have to think about why was that? Um, It certainly wasn't to protect those people. It was to protect the companies from the disparity and the inequality that existed with the way people were paid. So I feel excited Mm -hmm. um, that companies like ours are being very transparent about salaries that we pay to our employees, to the outside industry, um, and that, you know, I'd like to see a future where conversations around salaries are normalised within so businesses. the
1: transparency piece, could you explain that a little in terms of can you actually see what every single person
2: inside the agency is being paid? So not to that level of detail, but we do publish our bans. So there are brackets, you know, if you are a JAE within an agency, a junior account exec, you will be paid from this to this. Same for account exec, same for account manager, and that goes up within the organization, right to director. Um, and what that means is that we are objectively looking at individuals and making sure they are paid on the right sliding scale and they know what to expect. Um, and yeah, just back to that normalization piece, if we can encourage people to talk more openly, then my, my hope for the future is that the, the culture will shift. Um, i'm gonna guess that this is a bigger issue at the senior level
1: than it is at the more junior level and especially the issues around women having to take time out to have babies less 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 present as it were um and potentially seeming like they're less value to the business i think some of those trends are still going on would you agree nicola Absolutely. I,
3: I tried to dig out some stats before um, I came here today because there were some brilliant stats around COVID and caring responsibilities in a household. And you had, you know, maybe households with two professional people. And if one of those was a woman, then more caring responsibilities fell to that individual during COVID when they were locked up at home with their families and children and maybe elderly relatives as well. And so this is not a problem that is just associated with PR and communications. This is a a, a societal problem and I think we talk a lot about you know things like maternity pay flexible working and some of the things that we can introduce and and absolutely should be introducing to support women support women coming back into the workplace perhaps after taking some of those breaks but one of the things I think we don't talk enough about is supporting men as well and so supporting uh, men in caring roles and for organizations to become more compassionate for the role that fathers need to play in families and enable them to do that with, with pride so that women are able to share some of those responsibilities and that load. Because, you know, to your point at the beginning, the thing that's galling about this stat, whilst it's a, an issue that affects multiple industries, not just PR, we're in an industry where more women work in PR. So the fact that we just can't get women up to senior positions is
1: just lunacy. I think it was more of a trend, much more of a trend inside agencies than it was in-house, actually. I think it was a marked difference and, you know, that there can be a real issue and that's something that we touched on with last um, International Women's Day podcast that we did. Just that sense, really, that when women have to step back and go on maternity leave and so forth, um, that men have many more opportunities to be um, uh, more commercially successful inside an agency in a way that possibly an in-house person isn't being measured in the same way. And possibly that's where some of these issues lie.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think just I mean, I, I love your point there, Nicola. And I think we, you know, we need to talk about this more, this point about women and unpaid care work, because globally, you're right, it's a societal issue. And there's this global assumption um that women should hold responsibility for this unpaid care work. And thinking about some of that data, on average women women conduct three to six hours unpaid care work per day, whereas men take on 30 minutes to two hours. Um, And I I have to say, even in the most progressive of households, I do see that play out. Um, So you're absolutely right. And also, our policies should always be family friendly and not just focus on the women, of course. You made that point about in-house. And it's a really interesting point. I think and I've certainly felt this throughout my career as I've worked on both sides of the fence, I've absolutely lived with a perception that it's an easier ride internally and therefore it's probably more family-friendly. There's more flexibility. I think it depends on the organisation
1: and your role, but definitely, I mean, we've all had the clients that say... Close the place, five o'clock, right? And we're like, close the place, midnight. But- <laughs> <laughs> you definitely know that there's a different working pattern and people are in those offices at that particular time. And I suppose it then leads into also the research that, that showed something like 64% of women would prefer to work in-house versus, you know, 45% of men. Um, and, you know, I've got so many anecdotal stories of women in their, you know, 30s, 40s who are now mothers who find, that there is a much better culture in-house, a much more adult-led culture um, that supports them better than than agency life. I think that's fair, but I do like to think that agencies like ours are really bucking that trend. I don't think every in-house position in every agency Mm. is the same, right? So that's that's fantastic to hear. And I think when you've got female leadership Leading an agency and, and really ensuring that it's shifting to a well-being culture, you know, and not, not being the agency of the nineties is 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 definitely the way forward. That means that you'll retain those staff and therefore the benefits that come with that.
4: It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder, you know, to what extent it's actually true that conditions generally are are you know better in house if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna work in house rather than agency, and how much there is just too many variables to make that broad assumption.
1: I mean, I don't know the answer to it. I do. I mean, from everything that I've been told with very close colleagues that have gone in-house, I would say it's definitely easier and better. And I think a more respected position, I think being an agency, it's not every agency you can't sweep in generalization, but I think it's really, really hard. I think some of the stuff that I hear is fed back to me is also just being Much more trusted in a position where you're much more integral to the business and the decisions it's making rather than just feeling like the sort of lapdog that's trying to constantly chase the possibility of, you know, working together or delivering the next campaign. Um, and I, and I think that that as you get older, I wonder if that also potentially becomes a more rewarding situation. Whereas I think possibly being more junior inside agencies might have more benefits versus being in an in-house position. Perhaps broadly,
2: but yeah. I I I mean, you started in-house, actually, your first job. I did start in-house, but I do think, I think the the thing about in-house is it does come with its challenges as well, because you might not have, you know, four to six clients, but you've got stakeholders internally and it's difficult. Um, And often, you know, you're proving, you're proving your worth, you're proving that ROI, and it can be kind of a lonely game. Um so yeah I think I think broadly those assumptions are right and I can I can see I can see why that data shows that particularly from women there's a an appetite to move in house.
3: I would just add at missive we work predominantly with technology companies and I think that perception of it being slightly easier is probably true for the larger corporate blue chips where they've got established policies an HR person. Um for some of our tech startups or VC backed businesses I think the the marketing communications PR role ends up being in more of an agency vein where there's not quite so much respect for the contribution that they make. They might not have a seat at that strategic table. I think they're expected to work incredibly long hours. You know, these are technology companies that demand a lot. Um, So I I do think maybe it varies across size of organisation as well.
4: Most PR agencies in the UK are SMEs. We can kind of forget that, can't we? Mm. You know, these these Mm. relatively small companies in in this industry. I mean, the biggest organization in our sector that's a consultancy is a hundred million pound turnover and that's the very very biggest and obviously the vast majority are nowhere near that so, yeah, it does does make you think.
1: I mean, I've got friends in in-house positions, very senior in-house positions, where sometimes I feel like they don't see the light of day. And, you know, going through COVID and the cost of living crisis and the demands on an in-house, you know, lead has been absolutely massive. Um, but I think that sort of overall, how is it for the rest of the team? I generally think there's a there's a definite trend of um, a slightly different working culture and slightly different expectations, and I think it's just also the commercial weight of numbers that are on every agency head. Every agency employee can feel that, right? Versus a very different set, as you say, expectations around stakeholders and and that kind of uh, management style that's now needed in house.
4: Okay, so the the report also showed um, that hybrid working is here to stay with most agencies operating a two to three day at home slash office working pattern. What is the hybrid working policy um, that you both have um, and what do you see as being the biggest benefits? Um, and I guess from that, how do you mitigate against the potential drawbacks really?
3: So at Missive, we've always had a hybrid uh, working policy and, it, and it's truly hybrid. We don't mandate any days in the office Um We've always referred to it as our tell, don't ask policy so that people are communicating with their teams about what, what they're gonna be doing, where they are. The massive benefit is trust. So we've built a hugely um, a, a huge trust culture within the business. Um, and latterly, I think as people have taken advantage of it more, because I think pre-COVID, what that meant to people was coming in four days a week and working at home one, even though we gave them the option. Today it is probably more like a two or three days in the office. Um, but it's always at their discretion. And but, and what that's driving for us is a much more diverse workforce. So yeah, in terms of people with caring responsibilities, that can be really beneficial. But beyond that as well, that we've got good examples of people who have made uh, sort of neurodiverse disclosures to us and who find really busy environments difficult. So commuting in the rush hour is really problematic for them. Um, back to the cost of living crisis, some of our team avoid rush hours, so they don't have to pay so much on their travel expenses. So I think the the diversity that it enables in our team has been such a massive win. Um, admittedly, it's it's a more challenging business to run hybrid because you don't have everybody there all the time, ready to talk to at the you know first instance that you want to share information with. Um, We've done things like we signpost thriving Thursdays to bring people into the office, um, encourage them with breakfasts, training events, social activities that we signal around particular days to encourage people in. And then the other thing we've done is invest in collaborative technologies so that a hybrid really works. You know, we, we make every meeting hybrid. If, if it's in person as well as dialing people in, we're very, very inclusive. Um, right down to everybody having their own 500 pounds technology budget so they can set themselves up at home for success. So it does require a bit more setup and a bit more thoughtful working from the team in terms of that inclusivity, but the benefits definitely outweigh those challenges.
4: Great, and uh, Katie, what's what's CC Group's approach to hybrid?
2: Similarly, really. So, you know, we've taken that approach of really empowering and trusting our team to work wherever they want to be. Um, And really, you know, to your point, Nick, acknowledging that everybody's individual needs are entirely different. you know we have some people who want to come in somewhere between three and five days a week and work from the office. but we have some people who want to come in once a month or once every two months. There are always very personal reasons for that. Some people work outside of of London so that's opened up our talent market which has been a, a, a real benefit. Um, some people are parents um, yeah the neurodiversity. Um, issue has, has come up as well. Um, and we, we want to support and accommodate our, the personal needs of our staff as, as best as possible. So it's, it's what we call radical flexibility. So as, as well as the radical flexibility policy, we do encourage people into the office for certain touch points. So we do mandate our quarterly kickoff to make sure that people can join that and the social event afterwards. Um, Our two major socials a year, so summer and Christmas, and then we have lots of opportunities for collaboration in between, so in-person training um, and also various inclusive social events from book clubs to cooking sessions.
1: So I think one of the biggest challenges that some other agency heads have been talking about and thinking about Graham Goodkind here, uh, uh, Frank, who recently put um, a post out on LinkedIn, was concerns around what the, what the new hybrid uh, working pattern really meant for Genium people, mm-hmm. um, and uh, what that meant for sort of not being there in the corridor to be able to pick up on certain things, be part of the of the team um, experience. Probably when you're doing a big sell-in, I also remember. The agencies that I've tried to pioneer flexible working in long before we had COVID, and some of the pushback that I had from other senior uh, members of the team was, "Oh my goodness, what happens if the team aren't there to send out that cuttings email by you know quarter past nine in the morning, and everything will die and fall apart?" Um, so, how are you? And also, I suppose there's also the pastoral care um, that actually it's easier when you're sitting next to somebody.
5: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
0: Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: Isn't it? It is easier to help mentor and guide and coach and also pick up on when somebody's maybe not okay, I think is also a really important part of that. Nicola, how how are you managing that? Are there any new practices that you've brought in to help support junior members of the team? Yeah, so I, I think there is a little danger and watch out and it's quite an easy conclusion
3: to come to that um, some of these challenges exist. And then, I, you know, I would challenge back to say, how, how is that impacting on the business and the individuals you a hiring you know what's their response so we have a employee survey where we ask everybody what they want what and and how they feel about hybrid and what their needs are um, we have a shadow board that we get feedback from you know perhaps more junior people in the business that don't sit at the senior leadership team table so constant feedback and trying to listen to the junior team and hear what their needs are on the ground I think is really important and in terms of what that means in practice actually we experience that the junior team are the ones that come in a lot they're the ones that are there. It's the senior team who perhaps live a bit further out from London, uh, maybe have additional responsibilities outside of the work that we talked about that are perhaps there a little bit less. So I I do sort of challenge that stereotype a little bit around being present, and being there. A lot of our junior team, in my experience anyway, are, are in the office and, and ready to learn.
1: Um and th- Do you always ensure that a senior person is in to look after the junior team when they're there effectively? It's a
3: really great question and it is a conversation that we have a lot in terms of actually, you know, we really need to be there for them and we need to be spotting those signs. And I think when you have a culture um, that exists such as, in, I'm sure, in CC Group and in Missive, we're compassion-led. So people join our business because they care about the, the, the group and they care about the team. So it comes reasonably naturally that people would look out for each other and find make sure that that everybody is okay Um, and we have lots of mechanisms for people to feed up and down but yeah we do we do make sure that the senior team
1: are visible and are around. I think that's interesting isn't it when you say you've got the mechanisms I think pre-COVID maybe those things weren't there and actually once you've learned to manage a different kind of working pattern you've put those processes in place it should hopefully grease the wheels a bit more and make those that situation work for everybody. What do you think, Katie, in terms of, you know, training staff, giving them the pastoral care that they need and just that experience that I think we all had of probably going into, a, you know, a, a PR agency where everybody was there five days a week and there was probably a glass of wine on the table at five, um, you know, is a very different culture now.
2: Yeah, it, th- this was probably one of our biggest concerns as we came out of what was the kind of pandemic proper and moved into a, a kind of return to work was we were working with a generation that had literally onboarded um, as their first job during a pandemic, so what were they missing out on? Um, but I agree with you, Nick. I think we probably shouldn't get too hung up on it's changed, it's different, because a lot, a lot has changed and a lot is different. And to your point. It really is about having the right culture in place. So we have a mentorship program. Everybody within the business has a mentor. They are not only responsibility for building out smart objectives to help that employee meet their next um, level of promotion, but equally they are responsible um, in terms of duty of care, checking in, making sure that that individual is okay. So having that compassionate culture whereby you know our people really are at the heart of everything really helps with that. And it enables us to kind of check in, understand when things aren't quite right, and actually ask for that FaceTime when it's needed. On the training and development um, point, really, really important for us. Um, we uh, kind of increased our training and development budget. Um, it was up in 2022, 43% from 2021. Similarly, the billable hours that we were allocating people because it's all well and good putting them into training, but you've got to make sure that you're you're separating out um, that client work to enable them to, to do that really effectively and with the right headspace. So yeah, training and development has been really important as well. So I'm also really fascinated about the experience for you know
1: juniors, account execs, and so forth. Um, it's not easy being an account exec coming into a PR agency. You've got potentially four or five clients. There may be an average Tuesday morning where four senior people have asked you for something by eleven o'clock, um, and you literally don't know what to do. And you know there was the often who's crying in the toilets. You know we need to pull them out and help them manage their their uh, workflow, and also the fact that we. I don't know, as an industry, how good we were also at training our account managers in line management skills and all of those sorts of things. Is that an issue that you found you've had to deal with and 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 bring new processes in? Because I can think about that account sex that's literally sat there with now those requests coming in on email and what that might feel like.
3: Yeah, I think culturally there's a definite a big movement away from the culture that perhaps you're leading to. You know. 15, 20 years ago in agency life where it was really about the results and the pace and the delivery and the expectation that you absolutely would love to go to the pub after work and network with your colleagues. And there wasn't really a question about whether you would attend that or not. Um, I think things have changed a lot in terms of what people actually expect and demand and want from their workplace. They don't necessarily want that social experience in the same way. It's certainly not as alcohol-led. And that comes back to the diversity point as well. Um, but I think more than that, I certainly in my experience, agency we're, we're a small business and we are teaching people about running a business at the same time as we are expecting them to run client programs and learn about PR. and that that definitely comes back to line management training, diversity training, mental health training, you know the expectations in terms of employee well-being. Don't just fall on Missive; they fall on everybody that has a responsibility for our team, which actually is a a lot of people. So, yeah, I think I think that has grown in terms of um, focus and prioritisation.
1: Yeah, and the general sort of growing up of the industry, I think, in terms of managing people rather than just throwing them in at the deep end and seeing who sinks or swims so both missive and cc group won awards um this year for for your rewards and benefits program as part of the pr week's best places to work program which is obviously fantastic so well done and, and congratulations to you both um casey sort of first to you what have you implemented can you give a flavor to us of, of, of the sorts of things that you've put in place as part of your rewards and benefits program sure
2: um we've done a lot um and I think, I think the thing to remember when we think about this category in particular, that really attracting and retaining the best people in the industry is absolutely integral to an agency's success. So, you know, our people really are our most prized asset and we have to look after them. So, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of what we've done this year, it's been, you know, everything from transforming our bonus structure which um, saw it as really democratized decision making, um,
1: and you have real transparency, don't you, around uh, what's actually what actually will then deliver the bonus, rather than that sort of finger in the air um, sort of moment that I'm sure many agency bosses have chosen their bonuses around. So absolutely. That, that
2: integrity around that transparency is is really important. Yeah, and we're really proud of that. So we have, for example, a, an all staff bonus, so that's up to five percent. Um, annual bonus based on us meeting our fee targets. There's then an individual performance bonus. So that's up to 7% of salary. And we measure that through 360 degree appraisal feedback. So that shows that it's not just, you know, even the senior team that are making that decision. It's it's peers and people that report into the individual as well. Um, There's a spot bonus scheme that we run for recognising exceptional effort. And then every um, quarterly kickoff, we have our famous five award. So we recognize five colleagues who best represent our values, um, again, nominated by teammates, and that's a hundred pound bonus for, for winning that. And then last but not least, we have a long services bonus as well, which kick in at the 5, 10 and 15 year mark, as do our sabbaticals. Um, so if you've been there for five years, it's one month, 10 years, it's two months, and then 15 years is three months.
1: So around that transparency, therefore, are you being very transparent about the numbers and reporting those back to your teams on a kind of monthly basis at monthly meetings?
2: At quarterly kickoffs, absolutely quarterly we kick-offs. do. Yeah, we divulge it all. So we're very, very open and we make sure that, you know, everybody is on that journey and they understand where we're performing.
1: Yes, which is something I've always done, but it's surprising how many agencies still are not doing that, which completely shocks me and throws me every time. Nicola, um, looking at your reward um, and benefits programme, because you give us a bit of a highlight of some of the things that are included. Yeah.
3: So our ambition was is sort of centered around absolute parity. So uh, we offer a rewards and benefits program that benefits everybody and really tries its best to cater to individual aspirations and needs. Um, and we have a real breadth as well. And that comes back to the point that I made earlier around attracting a diverse workforce and recognizing that not everyone's motivated by the same thing. So I think in the last 12 months, we have found basic Pay has been incredibly important and people, uh, new candidates and our existing team are demanding high levels of basic pay, which we've met because of the working conditions. But, you know, out with um, that, we we try and make our rewards and benefits package really inclusive. So um, anything from um, uh, ring fencing a thousand pounds annual training budget for everybody and encouraging every team member to get involved in how that's allocated and spent. Um, I talked about our tech and wellbeing allowance that everybody gets and we contribute to phone bills. We have equal maternity and paternity policies and extended family leave. Um, we have unlimited bereavement leave. Um, we invest in mental health training across the team and make that available to everybody, including health insurance and, and policies and stuff like that. Um, the biggest rewards uh, that that we get cited from our team survey in terms of the, the most valued reward is actually our employee holiday, um, which we're going on later this month. It's an annual um, away trip where we we don't do a big company presentation. We don't We don't ask everybody to workshop our strategy. We literally just go for three days to spend time together and connect as a team. And I think m- maybe I should have mentioned it earlier in terms of ways well, no, to I did culture read it in your around
1: entry. And I was <laughs> thinking like last year you went to Mykonos and this year you're going to Mont Blanc. And I thought <laughs> quite different holidays. <laughs> Is this where
4: everyone be- all of them begin with an M? Yeah, That's right. yes, 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 I remember
3: this. The Missive Massive. So we've run it since our inception and everybody loves it. We consistently get feedback that if we drop any benefit, it cannot be that. And, you know, the kit list just got published last week because so we're going in two weeks. Everybody's really excited. And it's because we just invest in being together. And uh, how many days is it? So uh, this year we'll be flying out on Thursday morning and back on Saturday
1: afternoon. It sort of depends on the location. You're not going to shove everybody in a room, as you say, for half a day. and Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. that's, <laughs> no, we're going we're hiking. We're going on a guided hike. Um
3: And, you know, we we really think really carefully about what's inclusive. And of course, we'll be enjoying uh, a lovely dinner and drinks afterwards. But that, that won't, if you don't want to participate in
1: that, that's not going to exclude you from enjoying the event.
2: I love that, Nicola. Feeling very inspired right now. Yeah, you're going to go back
1: and say, right, we need things beginning with C. <laughs> where it's are we scary.
2: going?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we did talk about this, didn't we, John? Do you remember on the back of COVID, there was suddenly this rash of incredible away days where I saw Manifest yeah. and Milk and Honey, they're all going off to the most extraordinary locations. I don't it's- think that happens in-house. I mean, that is the one thing about being in an agency that that kind of stuff happens, doesn't it?
4: Yeah.
1: Not a haymarket, though, Not it. a haymarket. No, no I, don't
4: <laughs> I don't know where we'd go. So... Going on to a very crucial topic, um, what is the standard in the agency now for maternity and paternity packages, um, and is it enough? Obviously, we spoke about gender equality earlier on and the pay gap, but this is obviously a crucial part of it. What's um, what are your what are your thoughts on this?
3: First of all, I think it's really challenging uh, as a small business because you know it's really hard to sometimes cushion some of that investment and give people the time off they absolutely deserve. Uh, to spend a life-changing moment um, in in their own lives. We're about to increase our uh, maternity and paternity and match the two from 12 to 18 weeks. And I think that's pretty decent. I don't actually think it's amazing and I wish we could do more. I think larger organisations can afford to do more and they, they should. And we it should be an absolute priority for businesses because I think this is one of the big uh, life moments that people experience in employment that can be really changing in terms of their next professional step and and workforces lose out when they lose um people that become parents and they lose some some of those people because they feel like they can't return that that loses value to the organization which is a real shame
1: in an ideal world what would you love it to be mm, i would <laughs> i would love it
3: to be limitless i'm so yeah. passionate about you know give affording people that time and then Uh, enabling them to come back. I mean, one thing we have really invested in is returnship. So we give everybody uh, a mentor from within the team who's experienced returning to work after becoming a parent. We give people um, a dedicated one-to-one coaching session that's specifically focused on how do you return after that life event and what does that feel like to you? Um, So people go through that kind of training and development process to bring people back in. And we've so far successfully everybody that's gone on maternity and paternity leave from missive has returned really successfully into the business. So I'm really proud of that. There there will always be more. My, my uh, compassionate side of me will always want to do more, but we can't, we can't afford to do more right now to, you know, to put it bluntly.
2: I agree with you on that, Nicola. I think, um, yeah, we, we, changed up our policy last year. So we looked at it and said, what's the absolute best we can do? We doubled our maternity package from two months full paid to four months full paid. We also um, announced a, a returnship program, which is really similar. So it's about making sure that people feel protected and supported during that return to the office. Um, and really just acknowledging that it's a very hard transition. It's a very, very hard transition. And that question about like, what should the gold standard be, for me, you know, I look I look to a future where it's a hundred percent pay, um, but is it realistic at the moment? No, it's not. So I think the best we can do is continue to keep looking um, at what we can do within our means every year. And over what period of time? Six months a
1: year? I mean, what would what would be? What I, see, would be I the- think it's really personal. I've I've got three children,
3: and uh, the the least time I had off with one of them was six months and that felt pretty brutal and that was doing shared parental leave where my husband then took time off with our daughter so it wasn't like we were sending her out of the household at that at that young age either but I still even as a parent found that really challenging so but I think it's
1: very very personal I, I wouldn't that, that was is my it, experience. Is it personal though because yes if somebody wants to choose to come back earlier fine but I think the, the difficulty is that we're still not anywhere near the Scandinavian level of, mm. you know, where, where there is an, an ideological belief that a child has their right to their parent. Um, and that includes mums and dads. Um, and how do we get to that position? And what do you think you need in support from potentially the government or from any other places as a small business to get to that position? I suppose at one point, we just need an overall, this is the law um and i suppose there's shades of gray in between that um and i think ultimately it is still many mothers who are still suffering with that situation and also under supported by the childcare situation right the the difference with the scandinavian approach
3: is both government policy in terms of support for maternity pay from a government perspective but also childcare. I mean, the percentage of um, take-home earnings that are being spent on childcare, and I know the government's introduced some um, improved policies, but you look behind the small print and uh, you know, to the small print. Sorry, and and a lot of those don't come until 2025. I have a two-year-old at the moment, and he won't benefit from any of it. He'll be in school before some of these policies come in. So I think there's a lot more that the government can do. And I think a lot of businesses do. A lot of really great things and there are some other businesses that perhaps need to catch up. But yeah, I think from a public policy perspective, we need more support for parents. 100%.
4: Okay, final question then. Um, what one thing have you implemented that you believe has made the most positive impact on your culture at the agency?
3: I think if I had to narrow it down to one, and it's not one because that doesn't build a culture. But if I did, um, one thing we haven't talked a lot about today is our entrepreneurial mindset at Missive and the extent to which we encourage our team to build and shape the business. So in reality, what that means is we've developed specialist roles for individuals who are pursuing maybe out with. The traditional PR model of career. So we have a a lead DE&I consultant now. We have someone leading Missive Studio, which is more of a creative brand concept. We've also funded more diverse career development in the business. So we have someone right now on an apprenticeship in data literacy, um, someone doing an online course in journalism in AI. Uh, We support our accountant with financial qualifications. So um, encouraging people in that way. And then our most recent effort around entrepreneurialism is um, Missive Sandbox, which is about working with the founders to ideate and come up with new ideas about our products and services, about our um, rewards and benefits, perhaps. Anything to do with the way that Missive grows, people can contribute ideas and help commercialize those ideas and bring them into fruition. Um, the final thing that we do that really embodies all of this is we have an EMI scheme, which um, for big uh, business milestones, like our fifth birthday, we rewarded everybody in the team
1: with uh, share options in missive. So Nicola was a true PR and she knew how to get all of her key
3: messages
2: in there. She did Love brilliantly. That. sounds like a
1: fantastic set of benefits.
2: Lovely. And I think I think what I'd focus on for, for that question would be really and it kind of ladders up to one of our core values, which is around support. So that would be. Um, how kind of integral support is to our culture so looking after our staff you know for all of the work that we do around mental health to making sure they're kind of protected in that transition and return to work as as working parents but particularly working mothers um, to some of the dNI initiatives whereby we've actually thrown out our Christmas holiday between uh, Christmas and new year and replaced that with, Cultural days, which means that, you know, one of our employees that would actually prefer to work over Christmas but celebrate Eid or Diwali can then do that, um, not to the detriment of having to take further leave. Um, And then just on that sort of supportive note and thinking about this year in particular, I think we're really proud of our cost of living support. So in October, we introduced a support package. Um, which was a £500 payment for everyone earning under 45k or less. Tax-free grocery vouchers for everyone earning, um, 60k or less. Um, but also, um, the fact that, you know, our salaries were increased by 19% overall throughout the year, but actually 21% for CC groupies who were earning less than 70k. So just thinking about what the individual really, really need within our organisation. And then beyond that, financial support around cost of living. Um, we had a fantastic financial resilience training session, which I'd really um, encourage anybody to get involved in with a company called Wealthbright, where we were educated um, on personal finance. We got we got into some brilliant topics and issues like um, the pension gender gap. And also we all took a financial health survey as well. So there was just some practice, practical support in terms of helping our people the
1: amount that you're both doing as agencies sounds extraordinary. And I think it's just so exciting to hear how, um, you know, both your agents are obviously exemplars of of what's really changing inside the industry. And it kind of really (laughs) reminds me of kind of what we're proud of in 20 years ago, having a duvet day. So definitely things have moved on. So listen, thank you so much to you both, Katie and Nicola, for joining us. Um, And thank you too to our listeners. Thank you so much for listening. We'll look forward to you joining us next time when I believe we'll be looking forward to Danny's report from Cannes. Absolutely. Goodbye for now.